Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Crypts of the Corn. I'm the mysterious Justin. And I'm the infamous Jay. And together, we're two-thirds of the Crypts of the Corn podcast. But don't worry. We have a third today. We're going to welcome our special guest that's going to share an amazing story with us. So, Andrew, if you'd please, you know, just... We're going to start. Hi. My name's Andrew. Very happy to be here. Um... We can just head right into the story if, if that's what you want to do. Let's do it. Yeah, let's jump right All in. Right. So, so I just a little background. I grew up in the Midwest. Um, never really give much thought to Bigfoot. Uh, hunted and fished all the time. Uh, primarily grew up with my grandparents. Grandfather was a big outdoorsman. Uh, never, never give much thought to any talk of, of any kind of cryptid or, uh, Loch Ness monster or anything like that. It just, it, it wasn't in our vocabulary. Uh, my grandfather would often say when we were out in the woods that there was things people didn't understand or things that we didn't know. Uh, but as far as talking about Bigfoot or, or, or anything like that, it didn't happen. So in, in my adult life, um, I, I had the opportunity around 2011, uh, 2010, 2011, to move to North Carolina. The, the employer I was working for at the time was setting up a new plant. Hmm. Moved down. I, I actually bought a new boat when I moved to North Carolina as a reward to myself. Sold an old John boat, bought a new boat. Uh, Big-time fisherman. Uh, if anybody's familiar with the URE National Forest, beautiful area, you got – Yatkin River that runs through it that has a series of lakes. Um, so you have High Rock Lake that duck, dumps into Tuckertown Reservoir, that dumps into Baden Lake, that dumps into Tillery. If I remember correctly, it was originally put in for like the aluminum industry in the area uh, around the, the turn of the century. So you're talking like between 1900 and 1920, these lakes were formed. Oh, okay. Uh, but I, I would go there and, and, and fish primarily at night. Uh, got turned on to jug fishing, did a lot of catfishing. For anybody who doesn't know what jug fishing is, uh, basically you attach a line to some kind of float. Uh, I give Justin and Jay a diagram of the jug I used because I, I think it's important to understand this story. Uh-huh. And I, I, I'll describe it to you a little bit. Uh, so you take a, a piece of PVC pipe, uh, three-quarter inch in diameter, and that fits... Uh, a pool noodle real real nicely put a cap on each end put a, a three or four inch long piece of uh, number four number six rebar inside of it and uh, attach your line to the other end with a weight on the bottom and the, the big deal with that was if you put two pieces of double-sided sticky tape on that float on that piece of pool noodle uh, and you shook the weight down to that end of this jug you could lay it and it would float flat on the water and then when uh, fish hit it, that weight would pull down to the other end that, that didn't have the float on it. And this thing would kind of stand up in the water like a big bobber, and it would make a, a, like a thunk sound. So I would go out primarily at night uh, or early morning, set, set my jugs up, uh, baited with chunks of shrimp or, or fish, and... A lot of times I was by myself. I would lay down on the bottom of the boat, and, and pun intended, I would take a cat nap <laughs> while I was catfishing. Right, perfect. I've done that a time or two, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you pull in a little cove, you throw the anchor out, and, and you lay down and you take a nap. So I, I had done this a number of times with no incidents, and I went out, 
the the first time this happened, I had no idea what was going on, but I heard a big splash next to the boat, and I'm just like, what the heck? So, I I don't even remember if I stood up or if I I just sat up in the boat, looked around, didn't see anything, laid back down, figured out it's got to be a fish hitting the water or whatever. And another big splash hit the boat. And it got to the point that I would lay there because this happened multiple times and watch. And you would see rocks. And I, I swear these rocks were like large, like four to six inches in diameter. Like a big softball? Being flung. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they would hit around the boat. They never hit the boat. And it was kind of spooky that I I would pick my stuff up. I would move kind of around a corner or something like that because uh, there's a lot of fingers on Baden Lake. And I would set back up. And there would be no more of this splashing around big rock type scenario, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there would be times that you would swear you could hear something swimming or moving around where around the corner you just moved out of because you were only, I don't know, a couple hundred yards away or or less at times you were just out of eye shot Mm. and there's nobody out there, no lights. And I, I can remember firing up a big motor jerking around the corner and seeing nothing, but you could troll through where you were, and a lot of times you'd either see a, a wet spot on the bank, or you'd even see a place where it looked like maybe rocks were turned over. Hmm. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I had heard stories about bears. Originally, I thought it was some kind of a bear, but there's no way a bear can throw a rock. You know, right. you, you try to reason, you try to reason yourself out of something you can't explain. Your brain wants to explain if that it away. makes any yeah. sense at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the fact that you can't do that in some instances is, is kind of scary. Mm-hmm. So this must have happened to me, I don't know, I bet 30-plus times. Oh, oh wow. Uh, you know, uh, over over the course of several years, there was times that that – Myself or a couple buddies of mine would go out, and I started getting sneaky. Like, I started trying to troll around the corner to catch whatever this was. Right. And I, I'll i tell you that I, I never truly, like, can say, oh, yeah, I saw a Bigfoot. There was times that I would have swore that I saw something on two legs run into the woods. But I can't. I can't tell you that it was Bigfoot because I, I didn't know it. It wasn't a sustained, like, hey, this this thing ran over 100 yards in front of me. You know what I mean? Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, I get you. So I started telling people about this, and it's been several years since I've even talked about this, and it, it almost makes me emotional now because this is a I, – I use the word traumatic. Maybe traumatic's not the right word. Maybe – life-changing is better Mm -hmm. but it opened my eyes to there there's something to this folklore if you will there's something to this this discussion of bigfoot uh but i couldn't put my finger on it so I, i was talking to people about it and the majority of people like i don't know maybe 85 75 percent or better would kind of instantly laugh it off. Mm-hmm. Then you had like the 10% of people that would listen, but not have a whole lot to say. Just be like, oh yeah, that's interesting type thing. But then I had a, a few people that, that would tell me that they had similar things happen in the same area. Uh, to the point that why I live down there, uh, the BFRO made an episode in this area. And that was the first my first exposure to this BFRO it and I, I don't know if I can say this but they almost made a mockery about what was going on or what was happening and what people had to say in my opinion so, because that sorry it my bad yeah I was just gonna say 
you're not the only one that feels that way about these. Yeah. It, it happens to other people in these other groups. I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah. Not to derail you. No, no, you're fine. It, it was just, I can remember watching the episode and there, you know, they went around this lake one time and I can tell you out of the, you know, 500 or a thousand times, the countless times that I, that I fished this lake over an extended number of years that this didn't happen every time. Right. This happened. I mean, if, if I fished in this same spot, in the same way, 300 times, this literally happened 30 times. Uh-huh. You, you know what I mean? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So for it, so, and, and I don't mean to get way off track. Oh, no. Yeah, it's all good. But, but that, that was kind of what I experienced. Uh-huh. But when I, when I talked to people about it, the people that would talk about they had this experience or a similar experience there was one older lady that turned me on to some some rock paintings and she said what I was experiencing was what the the old people and that was the term she used the old people uh, referred to as the woodland giant hmm. the woodland giant uh, and, and I have I have googled the crap out of that and I, I actually went to a couple places in North Carolina you can google this there's cave paintings um, where uh, Native Americans, Indians, whatever you, whatever it's correct to call them now, um, had cave paintings, if you will, or rock face paintings. They weren't really in caves of normal sized Indians, and then they had these giants that had uh, eleven fingers and eleven toes. Some of them, in my opinion, the way they were drawn. Uh, their their extremities, their arms and legs weren't smooth. They were drawn where it was jagged, like they were covered in hair. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't know if you've seen those those paintings. You can Google them and find them. Oh, I'm definitely gonna Google them. That looks. It sounds amazing. It, yeah, but but I, I didn't know that stuff existed. I had never heard before this happened to me. I didn't seek it out. It was probably out there, and and I've talked to people that I've talked about. Uh, having rocks thrown at him while they were camping and different things, but I have never talked to anybody that's had a rock thrown at them while they're sleeping in the bottom of a boat. Uh, and maybe that's just I'm just weird. I don't know. No, it's I don't but, I don't think so. But uh, it it was it was shocking to uh-huh. me, and, and it it got to the point that. I didn't want to go there and fish by myself or if I went there to fish at night by myself, there was one particular cove, uh, even though it had a lot of coverage, had, had a lot of feed, had a really good clam bed and, and some frogs in it. Uh, I wouldn't set up there because I knew that something was going to happen. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Like a so, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like it was an intuition thing, just a feeling you had. Yeah. You knew you probably not best to be there. Yeah, it, and I'm not saying that I ever felt threatened. I ever felt like whatever this thing was, what was trying to hurt me or kill me. I mean, it could have definitely threw these rocks in the boat, right? Rather than right next to the boat. I mean, there was times that these rocks hit around the boat close enough that it splashed water, you know, water droplets would hit me sleeping on the floor of the boat. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, if it was trying to hit me, I think it could have. Could have, exactly. That's, that's a very, with the rock throws and stuff from the stories we've gone over in our research, that's a very common feeling people get that they have rock throwing events, that if they wanted to hurt you with these rocks, they would. You're only getting to sure. talk about because they didn't they didn't want to hurt you. They just wanted you gone or wanted you moved. Right. And and that was the weird thing. I would literally move sometimes uh, a, a few hundred yards up around the, the, the edge of this finger in between a finger and an island. Uh, I, I would move from this large cut up in between this, like I said, this finger and this island. 
where I couldn't see back in that other finger anymore just because that's where the next little sandy area with clam bed was. Mm -hmm. And it would make the fishing uh, good there like it, it was in this other spot. I was chasing these little little sandy drop-offs that were 18 to 24, 25 foot deep. So I would just move to the next one. I couldn't see the other one, and, and the rock throwing, if you want to call it that, would mm -hmm. stop. Hmm. Uh, it, so after this happened, I started reading a lot, and I started looking at some of this stuff on the this woodland giant. And there's some southeastern, uh, or sorry, yeah, southeastern legends of like the the people, the indigenous people that live there, the Native Americans that live there. Uh, have oral traditions of trading with these woodland giants in different things, mm -hmm. which sounds crazy to me, but there's, there's a little bit of truth in every legend, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So after what I experienced and being in that type of area, it makes me question how valid it is. I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. So, as far as trade with, we'll call it a, you know, for now we'll call it a Sasquatch or a group of Sasquatch. That's actually out west. I, I can't think of the tribe off the top of my head. But they, they would trade with their local population twice a year. And that ended uh, due to an accidental killing on one of the sides. But that was their, their common story, you know, their folklore with it. Mm -hmm. I do believe that it may have used to happen where especially with the native americans before you know the settlement started here and everything you know is a little more different but yeah i have heard similar things to that right but not on this side of the mississippi so that's what makes it amazing right yeah is that you know that's an out that to me that's it's it's awesome because it's you know here on this side of the continent when a lot of those stories come from out west you know in the 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 semi tropical to you know the temperate rainforest areas. That's, sure, that's amazing though. I mean, and the, there's a I didn't know this until after I started had this experience and started researching a little bit. But there's a lot of uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch legend around like the the Cherokee North North Carolina area. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's even some some conspiracy theories, if I can call them that, about uh, the the Roanoke Colony, which is on the Outer Banks in 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 Bigfoot, which are almost laughable. But I don't know. I wasn't here in the 14 or 1500s when when that stuff took place. Right. Yeah. That's, none of us were. I mean, yeah. The guy. We just talked about the Roanoke Colony, uh, not on the podcast, but just talking about it. The guy that ran the colony wasn't even there when it disappeared. Right. So, he was back in England, right? Yep, yep. He went to get supplies. It was supposed to take four months, and it took two years. Yes. But yes. Uh, that's a that. I mean, your, your encounter is truly amazing to me. And we're back, everyone. I apologize for the interruption with our poor Wi-Fi, and thank Andrew for uh, sticking with us through that. That was a little rough. So, Andrew, I have a question for you for the about ninth time. <laughs> uh, so, but the encounters always seem to happen in the same cove or the same finger of this lake. Yes, they, they always seem to take place in the, the same general area within... I don't, that, so there was a, a sandy area that was a shelf that had like a, a I, I don't know if they're freshwater clams or mussels mm -hmm. exactly, uh, but there was a sandy area that was tapered off, according to the fish finder, between 18 and 25 or 26 feet deep, and then there was a almost straight down drop off to 30 some odd feet. I don't really remember now. Mm. Um 
but if you set your your jugs to where the the weight on the other end was hitting somewhere in this particular area uh and there were several of these places on the lake uh it seemed like you just caught more fish and, and i was typically fishing for the blues the blue cats mm-hmm. uh and every now and then you catch a flat but primarily the blues uh and they would hit better in this general area so i would usually try to set up in that area um and so it was literally in that cove it was probably less than 100 yards long where this sandy bank come out from a, a rocky shore um whether it was man-made or not i don't know yeah but it was always in that area and there was a bunch of lily pads just beyond this area uh, because the water shallowed up extremely fast mm-hmm. and I, I always try to justify it in my mind that whatever this thing is was coming in there because there was a bunch of frogs in these lily pads where they were going after these same freshwater clams or mussels whatever they are and, and you might know being a, a, a marine biologist type individual mm-hmm. what what these things are actually called but it was always in that area so they probably are either freshwater mussels or freshwater clams. They do grow in big clusters like that sometimes. But I actually had that marked on one of my notes for you is if you thought this may have been that may have been in a food source for that area, that's why they were going in the water there and maybe that's why they didn't want you right there cuz that was their clam bed or their mussel bed. But there are plenty sure. of plenty of species of mussels that do that. Um I'm not sure about that area specifically, but yeah, it happens a lot like that. Right, but yeah, I, I mean that would make sense for it being a uh, if it was a food source, like the mussels and the frogs, like you said. Uh, why he or they may have uh, wanted you to scoot along? It was just an area they were more confident with, you know, swimming in and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's amazing, and I, I'm glad you brought up the the mussels or the clams, whichever one they are. They're probably mussels in that area, but they could be clams. Sure. I, I truthfully don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really matter uh, for your story, but it's it's amazing. Yeah. And if you're okay with it, oh sorry. No, and they look they look like the just to describe them to you, you know, you, you see the classic classic shell, right? Mm-hmm. That everybody thinks of that's you know, a smooth rounded edge and then it's got like uh the 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 hinge part, you know, mm-hmm. and it's got the, the one bump on each side. I mean, it's that classic clam or mussel-looking shell. Mm-hmm. And you see a bunch of them opened up on the bank. That you know, Each half is roughly the size of a silver dollar, and they're hinged open, kind of look like a butterfly is the way I'd describe it. Mm. So, yeah, there's a bunch. You know? there's, a, there's tons of mussel species that that fits. They all kind of have that that classic shape. But it's it's awesome to have them in that grow, that big clusters like that. But, yeah, that's definitely what screams it to me is it's, you know, a possible food source is why they like that area right there in particular. But uh, if you're okay with it, I have an encounter that was shared with me I'd like to share with you because of the striking similarities. Sure. Um, And I kind of just mentioned this with you on the Facebook, uh, but I didn't want to go into it because I wanted to (laughs) kind of surprise you with it. But uh, on the Manistee River is one of our research areas that in Michigan. Uh, the Manistee River is known for an amazing salmon fishery when they come into spawn. But it's a gigantic river full of these massive coves, kind of like you were describing. Kind of similar, kind of not. You know, it's a river versus a lake. And But uh, at night, a lot of these salmon fishermen will take their boats into these coves because that's where the salmon will go to rest. You know, they're up there spawning. So it's a lot of exercise. But they don't spawn really at night as much, so they'll go in these coves and rest. So if you're targeting them it's a lot easier to catch them in these coves at night so this uh it was a grandpa a dad and a son but the son was like 24 so you know three generations of men at it there's camps for the salmon fishery all over the river one side is pretty much just nothing but the state or the national forest the other side is pretty much just camps but they had picked a cove that other fishermen were kind of avoiding And they didn't know why they were kind of, this is like their second or third year doing this. They pull in and start fishing. And just kind of like you described, they heard a big smack on the water, like, you know, probably 50 yards from the boat. They're like, okay, the salmon are here. They're jumping. Uh, 
over the next 10 or 15 minutes, it gets closer and closer. And then finally, they don't have their lights on because salmon have amazing eyes. So when you turn your lights, you know, they'll avoid your boat. But now they keep hearing this splash. They turn on their lights and they're kind of looking and a giant chunk of asphalt from the road above came flying about 10 feet from their boat and landed. And he described it as being, you know, maybe a foot wide and, you know, probably three or four inches thick. And they are very, they're still very far away from the bank, you know, probably a hundred yards. And then another one gets within a couple feet of the boat and then they just kind of scooted out of there. Uh, they later on, they were talking to other people at the camp and they kind of got like you were kind of describing the cold shoulder from a lot of the locals and stuff. But a couple of them were like, yeah, if you notice, watch next time you go up there, there's nobody ever fishing that cove. And there's nobody talks about why, but nobody ever fishes that cove at night. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> right. And that's when you told, you know, when we read your encounter and stuff like that, that's what it, it just screamed to me that it's so weird that they're such a big distance apart, but they have these, you know, these factors. And where he was fishing was only probably four feet deep. So the Sasquatch yeah. or whatever was going out to catch salmon, that's the only part of the river he can stand and not get swept away, probably. But yeah, that's just, you know, it's a food source. They wanted the fishermen away from the food source, throw big chunks of rock. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to share that with you because it was just, it screams it to me that it's, you know, such a similar thing. Right. Similar it, behavior. It almost makes, yeah, it almost makes me want to go to that place just to, to see what it looks like, see what the banks look like, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, even now, thinking back, I always thought it was weird that when I fished this particular general area, uh, a lot of times you go down there and you would see in the URI there are certain places where you can camp, and it's it's like check-in, check-out like type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's not like you can't call and reserve a camp spot. So you would see folks you know, a lot of times scattered around or whatever, uh, little specks of fire at night, you know, in the woods. You know what a camp campfire uh-huh. looks like. And in this particular area, these three or four fingers, if you will, this lake that were together, if, if you saw anybody camping in that area, it would be on the outer edge of this kind of like finger behind these islands that they went, you know. Mm, okay. But no... Yeah, no one was ever there, and and if you looked at the bank, I always just assumed because you had kind of a, a rocky bank with some intermittent sand, and then you had a tree line just beyond that rocky bank. Like, there wasn't big cutouts, you know, of of nice, pristine prairie grass next to the water or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if you can get that picture in your head or not. Yeah, I, but I was just figured people didn't camp there because it it wasn't an easy place to camp, but now thinking back and listening to what you're talking about, maybe the locals didn't camp there uh, because of, of this stuff. Of yeah, and it make, and it makes sense because being way out there where it was, I mean, it's it's probably thirty thirty five minutes from the boat launch, running wide open, and I I had a Lumacraft competitor. I could run <laughs> thirty thirty five mile an hour across water. Yeah, so you're way out there. Right. And there's other right. spots around the country where that seems to be the kind of the same thing that a lot of people, it's more of a not talked about thing, but actively avoiding these areas. Mm-hmm. I go down and I run, well, we've talked, uh, me and Jay have talked about, it, but I go down and run hoop nets in Arkansas for catfish uh, a couple times a year. And there are whole like bayous and stuff people avoid that nobody talks about or nobody talks yep. about why they avoid them, but it's still good fishing. Right. Just nobody goes there. And I wonder if it's a, a similar thing. It, it's almost got to be. Well, you, you even mentioned yourself when you were fishing, like, going into that particular finger. It just didn't feel, you just felt like you shouldn't be fishing there, you know? Mm-hmm. Was that, right. was, well, that, I mean, was that a feeling through your experiences, or is it just kind of a feeling, gut feeling you had over time? Going no, when, when I first when I first started fishing there, there was no uh, ill feeling, if you will. There was nothing mm-hmm. weird visually about where I was. Um, and then it, as time went on, it it got to that point mentally where it's like, why am 
why am I going here? I know that this is not, uh, what do I want to say? It's not, not a, not that it's a bad place, but it doesn't feel like it's, it's the, it's the right place for me to be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel very welcoming. Makes... Yes. Yeah. I definitely, I understand what you're saying. Uh, fully. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anybody that has had a encounter or anything like that, I, or any kind of thing like this, you know, it's a hard thing to explain until you've felt it yeah, really. until you've had it. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, if you've ever had a, uh, you know, like a, a family member or like maybe you didn't get along with your in-laws and you could never put your finger on it, but going to their house just made you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It was that same type of feeling. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. The not, yeah. not welcoming. It right. didn't feel good. Yes. Yeah. It's and, like going to visit your mother-in-law. That's what it felt like <laughs> going to that cove. All right. I got to say this for Emily that uh, that's not what it feels like. Because yeah. Emily listens to these when she's not here. But, Just covering your tracks. Yeah, I'm, cover, I'm covering my bases. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then with the next point I had for you, with the BFRO involvement, not saying anything against the BFRO, but I have heard your same feelings expressed with other people and their clusters of sightings and stuff like that. You know, the BFR will start doing these investigations when there's a couple sightings in an area. Mm. And some people feel that some of the groups don't do justice. Some of them feel like they, some people feel like they bury their sightings because they want to save it for later to come back and, you know, turn into a research area. But I just wanted to make that comment for you that it's just, you know, you ain't alone. You ain't alone in that feeling. That sentiment. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, with the with the show, they do like the the town hall meeting. That they mm-hmm. post flyers, and I saw a flyer. I had one given to me by an individual that I talked to about this. And I mean, if you go there, and I know there's a lot of people that want to go there, like at least my experience, I couldn't even get in. Like, yeah. oh, there's so many hundreds of people there. Like, they take the first. 30 or 40 in the room to make it look good. And the rest of the folks are just kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say, you know, like cast off or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but there's not room for you. And Hey, here's a, here's a report form in a, in a BFRO pen. If you had an experience type thing. Mm -hmm. And then you, you you watch the the episode because you're like, man, I want to see what they saw, what they heard. And it's so, uh, you know, I think you guys even talked about this. It's so made up for TV. Like mm-hmm. yes, every man. broken branch, it is a tree break. Every branch that fell and got supported by another stick in the woods is a a, a wood structure of some kind. Right. And, mm-hmm. and going into this experience, I never, I, I can't tell you how many how many how many deer I've killed over my lifetime harvested you're not allowed to say killed anymore how many ducks i i've i've hunted uh just i mean very avid hunting and fishing you know mm-hmm. uh and how many hours i've spent in the woods and i have never had sometimes you're out in the woods you get an eerie feeling here or there mm-hmm. uh and you don't and you don't know why but i've never had a fear of a place or a fear of the woods and even now even with this place i don't have that fear but if you watch what the what they did in these episodes, if I it's been a couple of years since I watched it, but like they took canoes around the edge and said, "Oh, you can definitely, you know, hear the the events going on in the woods, and we heard some tree knocks and whatever." And I know where they were from the video, and they're right next to a campground within the Uari. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't have high school kids making the next generation in the woods 100 yards from your canoe. <laughs> yeah. If I can say that. Yeah, no, we're good. Oh, that's so. Here's what I'll say tree knocking. Yeah. It wasn't tree knocking. Oh, yeah. Something else. Right. Similar. Right. Similar. <laughs> but here's what I'll say. Yeah. Boot knocking. We, we've met those guys. Uh, we've met those guys. They're great people, but it is a TV show. Mm hmm. You know, and that's right. what, like you said, we've talked about on the podcast before. You got to disconnect the TV show or that kind of stuff because it's just entertainment. That's all it's for. Right. It's just, you know, 
which I mean, it's not to say we're not doing something similar here. We're just we're no, it's try- entertainment. We're trying to have entertainment fun, but we also like want real stories, you know, like real experiences like and thoughts, and we take it seriously. And we don't, you know, we're we're right. not going to dramatize anything, but we get why we get why. Right, and I, you know, and they'll they'll tell you too. Like we like I think we've said on the podcast before that it's it's a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like we hung out with Renee at this last Bigfoot conference we just were. She's super nice. Super but nice. It's but she does nothing like she is on the TV because that's a it's, that's it's a, definitely a made for TV experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we're back again. More hiccups, but we're getting there. But like I was telling you, Andrew. I have a friend, you said something about this, and that's why I wrote it down as a note, uh, that does uh, Bigfoot research in Michigan. He is pretty much out, pretty much every day in his research area. Uh, you, know, you know, almost 365 days a year, that's how he feels he gets the best results, is that the kind of, he familiarizes them to him. But what he says is, if he goes out 400 days in a row, he may have three types you know three encounters or three things happen that it's not like because you were saying in your area it's not an every day or an every time you went there kind of deal but yeah i just had that as a note no i i agree i it's almost like it wasn't because it took a while before i had my first experience like Mm -hmm. i was extremely comfortable in this area and in this area by myself on a boat before I went out by myself. So, I mean, how many trips does that take? Is right, it, is right. it, is it 20? Is it 50? I, I don't know. I can't tell you that exact number, but it's not five. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, and I'm going out at the same time. I'm setting up the same way. And then all of a sudden this stuff, if you will, starts happening. This something's throwing rocks. And then as soon as you move out, you can hear something in the same place you just were. Did it happen like uh, same time of year usually? Well, and and don't don't laugh at me for this, but this is kind of funny. So when I moved to to North Carolina, being a being a mid Midwest boy, I mean, you know, coming from Illinois, not Chicago. <laughs> Everybody thinks Chicago when they hear Illinois. Right. Where I live, it is cornfields. Yeah, you're corn fed, corn fed Midwestern country boy. Yes, there we go. Yes, there. There is no, I have corn fed country boy tattooed on my chest and that's not even a joke. Oh, see, <laughs> see, <laughs> we know, we it, know our own kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in an outline of the state of Illinois with a 12 point buck in it. <laughs> that's awesome. I want to identify myself. Um, but, but anyway, th- there's just, it's so strange. Like it wasn't until everything was, it was the same way going there the same time that this happened. And the reason I say that I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. So I come from Illinois. When I first went down there, when I say down there, Winston Salem, North Carolina and lived there like that first winter, I was like, all right, boys, you know, we're getting a little bit of ice. It's, it's the second week of December. When do you start ice fishing? And they're like ice fishing what's that <laughs> and by the by the middle of february it was back up in the 40s and 50s mm-hmm. during the day and you were back out fishing on your boat you know in a in a, in a sweatshirt mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah at all. no it makes sense to me fully i i'm right there with you <laughs> You know, when do we start ice fishing, man? I, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to get my four man hut out mm-hmm. and uh, drive some nails into the ice and bore a couple holes. Let's get this. Mm-hmm. I'm right there yeah, with you. Yeah. I got a whole room of ice fishing stuff. Right. But uh, right. But yeah. So it, it didn't seem to be. So how long? I guess were you there? Because this was for a job. Sure. Sure. So. So I, I work for a manufacturer of, of large yellow equipment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you try to narrow it down from there. Yep. Um, so I went down there to help set up a plant. So I went, I started going intermittently uh, late 2009, early th- 2010, 
and then I lived there from uh, 2010. The the mid like July is when we moved down there. July of 2010, and when I say we, um, you know, my wife and family, uh-huh. and, and then we came back uh, to Illinois in December of 2014. Hmm. So, uh, 14 years basically, or 13? Four well, years. Four, four years. Oh, sorry, four I read. Years. I'm reading his notes upside he's down. Reading, he's trying to read <laughs> off my page upside down. <laughs> Come on, Jay. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ten minus four is. I want to come to your bar and buy some beer if you're making change like that. There you Whew. go. Yeah, it, some nights till is what, off. My tab has been weird before. It's, yeah, it's been a little high and it's been a little low. See, but it always you know, it evens out in the end of the year. At the end of the day, yep, all's well that ends well. That's how I see it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but um, I will for this episode at the end. Uh, I will include. The, I'm going to find pictures of this Woodland Giants cave paintings and try to include it in the show notes and stuff like that or on the Facebook page. Oh, heck yeah. Because I'm so excited to look into that. I may even record a little blurb about them after sure. and put it on. Um, sure. But yeah, thank you for that. So, I'm sorry. No, the, the weird thing is they talk about them. I don't know if we're still recording or not. Yes, we are. Okay. Uh, but the weird thing, like, they talk about them having 11 fingers and 11 mm-hmm. toes. This old lady, I almost said her name, and <laughs> I, I know she's still alive. She would probably kick my butt if I said her name mm-hmm. because, I, I, you know, one of them things. Anyway, um, but she she always talked about, you know, they have 11 fingers and 11 toes, and there's a name for that, and I can't think of it. Polyodactyly. Yes. Polyodactyly. And they talked about that a bunch. She talked about that a bunch. And, and when I started Googling it, it it's – they're not cave paintings. I know I say cave paintings, but where I went to see them, there's no caves. They're like on rock faces. I think I know where you're, I think I've seen this actually now that you said that. In the, and it's like in, in the Eastern North Carolina area. Uh-huh. Uh, n- like not the inner banks or anything like that, but like, uh, more up towards like Washington DC type area. Uh-huh. But yeah, the, the 11 fingers, 11 toes, you know, that whole thing. But the thing that struck me is if, if you look at the normal size people, I assume they're normal size people, mm-hmm. painted on these rock faces, their outline, their skin, if you will, is smooth. But if you look at these woodland giants, if you will, they're painted with like a rough outline, and then they have 11 fingers, 11 toes. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. I, I really think you're onto something there, but because I I don't remember which Indian tribe it was that had that fought and killed a giant that ruled a valley that had eleven fingers and eleven toes. It's in one of the Carolinas. I know that. Mm, yeah. So I'll probably, I may tag that story onto this too. But yeah, polydactyly sure. is very connected with giants and legends and stuff like that. And that's over continents, right. not just the U.S., not just mm-hmm. England. That's continents that have these giant, you know, folklore or history of giants that have an uh, or an unusual number of fingers and toes. And right. the thing that causes polydactyly a lot of times is inbreeding. Right. Uh, so if they right. did have a big population reduction, which I think we've talked about in the podcast before mm-hmm. on our giants episode, if they're the same, you know, giants, Sasquatch, are the same thing they did have a big population reduction. That's a big sign of it, having all these 11 yeah. fingers, 11 toes. And polyodactyly... So, oh, sorry, sir. No, 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 you're fine. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No. Go ahead. Uh, so polyodactyly can be passed down generationally to have the same numbers of fingers and toes, or it could be. it can be random. There are both types do exist. Uh, but there's a... F- I think there is... I'm trying to remember that family of the of humans that had blue skin in Tennessee or Kentucky they, they all had seven uh, the, the fugits I think that's right yeah I think you're right the fugits yeah. mm-hmm. fugits and they were they hadn't gotten out of their own gene pool in a while oh okay yeah. <laughs> it got pretty shallow yeah, the, the blue the blue fugits of, of Kentucky I think you're 100% right there yes there's a book on it. I, I, I read the book. 
Well, I think that'll be a a future episode. But yeah, polydactyly. I'm glad you brought that up because you brought that up to me uh, in our original messages. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and and I I can't tell you what I saw had eleven fingers and eleven toes, man. I I I I can't. But it's just when I when I went and looked at these rock face paintings. I keep calling them cave paintings. Even in my head, I do. But they're not in a cave anyway. They all these giants have eleven fingers and eleven toes. Why would you purposely, if everything else you look at is depicted in true life scale and true life form, where the normal size, you know, five and a half, six foot tall man and woman that are standing there depicted on this face have five fingers and five toes? Why would you draw this nine foot tall? beast of a of a person with 11 fingers and 11 toes right or they either they the saw only it reason or they were on the peace pipe too much maybe sure sure maybe not the peace pipe it, though. and that's one thing I, I know i mentioned it to you guys but i, I just want to set this straight for anybody that's listening to this one thing i got asked all the time was well yeah how much were you having a drink now i'm yeah, a very right. serious fisherman and i can tell you that that I didn't even have a beer in the boat. The boat I own today is not the same boat I had then, but I can tell you that I've had this boat for a couple of years and I have never had a drop of alcohol on that boat. Mm-hmm. I have, I have friends that won't go fishing with me because they say I'm too serious about fishing. <laughs> I think I'm right there with you. I've had the, a similar comment made of time or two. Yeah. But that, there's not a more insulting comment to me that somebody could make when you really open up and share your experience mm-hmm. than where you drank and where you high, you know, all that stuff. Right, yeah. Because that's there's there's nothing more to me belittling. It's yeah, it's oh for sure, very discrediting mm-hmm. like angle to approach you with. But yeah, so I'll definitely I'm gonna look up these these I think I've seen them before now that you mentioned these guys. Uh, rock face paintings um i'll make sure that we we'll put a little blurb at the the end where um and then i'll put pictures on that's amazing you brought that up you did your own research and found out all this well when you have something like this happen to you and and it it's real it's not just bs and Mm -hmm. i say that because i've listened to people where they're like oh yeah this happened and it it was extraordinary and then all right, well, what did you find out about it? Well, nothing. And I'm like, all right, that didn't happen to you. Well, why are you so confident that that didn't happen to you? Because everybody I know that I can truly say that I believe had an experience, like yourselves, all right, you yourself said that you had these experiences. And I believe you Uh because it drove you to do what you do today in this podcast. Uh The experiences I had didn't drive me to start a podcast. But they drove me to, to talk to people. They drove me to do this research. They they drove me to now about the only podcasts I listen to when I drive are based around some type of supernatural or something like that. Hmm. And, and, and not to go way down a rabbit hole, but something that you brought up that I think is interesting that I want you to think about is my grandfather used to call them legends. You know, today we talk about them like cryptids. Uh-huh. But something that he brought up that I always thought was interesting, and, and Bigfoot was kind of thrown on this as an afterthought, was he would say that there's things that we don't understand. Uh-huh. And, and he, he would also say, you know, maybe they went the way of the dodo bird or went extinct in his terms. But he used to talk about if you look at the major continents of the world, they all have four or five legends that overlap. And what he was talking about was like, you know, everybody has a legend of a dragon. Uh-huh. Everybody has a legend of a vampire. Everybody has a, a legend of a, a wolf man or a werewolf. Uh-huh. Everybody has a legend of a, of a Bigfoot. Uh, everybody has a legend of a mermaid. The, his whole point was there's got to be some type of truth to this stuff. Uh-huh. You know, maybe we didn't explain it with modern science. But at one point in time, did this actually exist? I mean, that, that's the question. And does it exist today? Right. I mean, we find things all the time. 
like you guys were talking about the one woodpecker. Mm-hmm. I believe it was your podcast. Yep. Yep. Extinct and now boom, it's back, right? Mm-hmm. The ivory bill well, woodpecker. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Jay. How do we know that this Bigfoot wasn't this woodland giant and that there used to be a huge population and now there's only a few and they're hiding out because modern man wiped out a bunch of them, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't. And and it's like little weird things that I, I've heard people talk about is like the, the whole legend of, of like dragons. And I, I thought it was far-fetched, like there's no way. And then there was a researcher, and I don't I don't remember where he was or what his name was now. But I just remember reading a blurb where he's like, hey, look at all these images or pictures of dragons. And they usually have like wispy legs, not like hard legs type stuff. And he's like, these aren't necessarily what we think they are. His theory was that they're images of sea serpents that have changed over time. Hmm. Well, well you know, and it's the same thing with, like, talking about this Bigfoot, this woodland giant. There's a lot of documentation. I, I think Jay had an episode on this of giants or, or giant skeletons being found, right? Mm-hmm. How do we know that there wasn't a race that was much hairier than we are today that was larger than we are today? Right. You know, one thing that I stumbled upon when I was when I was looking into some of this stuff, uh, they call it the Uncanny Valley. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but yes. but I, I, I read uh, some stuff on this because it didn't make any sense to me at first. But what it what it basically is in a nutshell is a primordial fear of something that looks like it's humanoid but is not humanoid. Mm-hmm. And there was an individual who probably wasn't a scholar, but the way he explained this is you have base fears of spiders. You have base fears of uh, snakes or serpents. Uh You have base fears of large predatory mammals. Uh, Example he gave was like mountain lions and bears. Uh But you're not afraid of a big herbivore. You don't have a base fear of a big herbivore, uh-huh. even though they're probably more dangerous. Right, it's just... definitely more panicky. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's true. And the whole point to that was, at some point in our evolutionary history, your ancestors got eight enough. My ancestors got eight enough by something that looked humanoid, that it caused this uncanny valley, valley, this unconscious fear of things that looked humanoid and aren't humanoid. And I stumbled across this reading about the woodland giant, and it makes me wonder, was woodland the woodland giant a parallel species or is a parallel species to man that has avoided us as a survival technique? You know, they throw these rocks. They don't want to hurt me because they know if they hurt one, because somebody hurt one, you know, a woodland giant hurt a person 100 years ago, and it caused a lynch mob to come through the woods with yep. a bunch of muskets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could learn. They could learn that same behavior, this the same way we develop this uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. Leave these humans alone. They leave us alone, right? Right. The second you take a human, going, is the second you get a bunch more humans in the woods. Right. Right. Same type of fear of oh, this looks humanoid, walks like a human, does whatever like a human, but is not a human. It's the same type of fear. Mm-hmm. It, and so it, it makes me wonder if there's not something to this. If there's not part of this uncanny valley is not literally like proof that at some point in history there was something humanoid like a Sasquatch or like a big, Bigfoot or like what these people in North Carolina, my friends in North Carolina, refer to as a woodland giant. Mm-hmm. I think you're 100% right. Is it not? Right. Yeah. I think, first off, your grandpa sounds like a very smart grandpa. Right. Uh, I I think you hit the nail on the head with all of it, that uh, the population reduction with pyrodactyly, uh, uh, no, I can't say the word. Pyrodactyly, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the hiding as a survival mechanism because they know the second, if you hurt a human, that's the fastest way to get more humans in your woods. Yeah. The, and then... I th- I 
I think you spoke. I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly. It's amazing. Yeah, it, all this opens just a lot of questions that you didn't even think to ask yourself before with all this stuff until you have an experience, and then this it's like a whole other world opens up mm-hmm. of okay, there's a lot more going on, like your grandpa said, that we don't know about. We probably never will know about, but there, you know something's there that needs questioned. Right. Oh, and, and he actually passed away short shortly after this took place. Hmm. I never had the opportunity to say, hey, this happened to me. Have you ever seen or experienced anything like this? That would have been but a I w- con- I, Yeah, that would have been a, a heck of a conversation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, because he was, as weird as it sounds, he was a very open-minded, very old-fashioned, but very open-minded type individual. And the, the only reason I can think for that, uh, you know, is is because he had some type of experience, and it, it's made me open my eyes uh-huh. and, and believe a lot more than what I did. But at the same time, it's also made me... Uh, very judgmental of people that claim to have experiences. And what I mean by that is, is if, if it doesn't inspire you in some way, I don't believe that you, you truly had an experience because it, it is life changing to those Mm -hmm. that I, that I know truly had an experience. Mm -hmm. It will, Uh, it will affect your life one way or another. And it really seems that, I, I'm with you that people have true experiences go one of two ways in my mind. This kind of way, like you said, you dive in, you know, you do one way, you, like you did your own research for your encounter in that area, and that's amazing. Or you do like what we do when we talk about it, or you go the opposite way, the extreme opposite. You don't talk about it, you don't want to talk about it. It really upsets you. I do know somebody that I don't think they'll ever be on the podcast that did have, in my opinion, a real encounter, and it it's because it upsets them so bad. Sure. It's such an emotional, you know, they don't want to talk about, they don't like to talk about the subject, you know, but I think you're right there. You know, it's not the, any of the more attention seeking stories or, you know, they don't really do anything with it. You know, that's the ones I don't tend to, I don't tend to favor. Yeah. But you, you did your own research. You have, basically you gave me a whole bunch of notes for me to go research after this episode. (laughs) It's well, a, that, and that that wasn't that wasn't my intention. No, it it's not. I know it's not. It just you you had your. It just amazes me. You know what I mean? It just is amazing to me because I love this stuff, but I didn't for a while. And I know I talk about it with my when I go over my story, but for, there was like three years I didn't want to talk about Bigfoot. I didn't want to look anything Bigfoot because it affected me that deeply. That yeah. I was on the other end that I am now. You know, and. Here's a credit for the show Finding Bigfoot. That that's one of the things that helped me and my family not feel crazy. Well, it's on the TV and people are talking about it. That's sure. you know, it's a like we talked about. It's a it's silver a, lining there. It's a very you know, it has its flaws, but that was one of the positive notes I had for that mm-hmm. show. Is it? Yeah, I think it opened up some people to talk about it that didn't that made me feel not crazy that there's an actual TV show on uh, Animal Planet. Yeah. Yeah, it's gratifying to finally talk to somebody that that would talk back to you, have a conversation, you know, uh, a, a dialogue instead of a monologue, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About their experience, about your experience. And once somebody realizes, like, like me with, with you gentlemen, uh, that hey, they're not there to to make fun of of what you had. They actually want to talk about it and learn about it and try to figure out what you truly experienced. Mm-hmm. It changes your mind. You know, like I tell people, they say, "Well, you don't have a video, you don't have a picture," and I'm like, "Look, out of the the multiple times this happened." I never went home and wrote it down like tonight it was, you know, 72 degrees and sunny, wind out <laughs> yeah. of the northwest type situation. It was, did that really happen? Right. You know, you, you know, one time the neighbor was in the boat with me, and I remember him and I sat there 
for probably this one of the earlier times it happened. It was actually the first time it happened when somebody else was in the boat, and it was gratifying. I looked at him, and I said, I almost said his name, sorry. No, it's okay. I said, hey, did this actually happen? Did you see this? And he's like, yes. And we sat there on the other side of this cove in, in, you know, around this corner out of eyesight of this area and talked for probably 30 or 45 minutes. And he's like, I want to go back over there and just look around. And I said, all right. I said, I've tried. I said, this has happened to me a couple times, but I've tried, and I never see anything. I said, I'm going to drop the trolling motor where it's silent and try to ease around this corner. And, and I can tell you that, that both of us will swear, take a lie detector test, whatever you want to do. Uh, you know, I like thinking of myself as a good Christian. I, I, I would swear on a, on a Bible that I, I witness this. We swear that when we cut, cut around that corner, we saw something. We never saw anything look back like people talk about, oh, they have glowing red eyes. I never saw that. But I will tell you that I saw something that was dark brown or black. And, and I can't tell you whether it was fur covered or not. It was, it was a rough outline that ran from the edge of the water into the tree line. And we got the spotlight out. We got close enough. We're looking around. And you could tell a spot on the ground where something had come out of the water up through some rocks and it was like have you ever seen a dog run up out of the water chasing a bird like a duck when you're hunting? Yeah. And they leave that defined trail of this is where this animal has run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had that wet trail on the ground, but we couldn't say that, hey, this was this animal because it wasn't there. We don't have a picture of it. But I can tell you that I've seen black bears. This, I've never seen a, a black bear. This thing looked to be running upright like a person. And it was just a flash. It was a couple of steps and it was in the wood line. Gone right now. They're fast. Every. Yeah. I've heard a and, lot of real and, stories, I believe. Go ahead. Sorry. I hear a lot of real stories, I believe, that they kind of describe that same thing. It's one or two steps and they're they're gone. It's they cover yeah, yeah great distance almost unbelievable stride. you know it's believable but you know what I mean it's just just two or three steps and they're out of eyesight they're gone they're up the hill they're down the mountain they're in mm -hmm. the wood line yeah it it makes you want to uh, how can I put it 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 makes you want to to take somebody that's an Olympic sprinter or Olympic runner out there and say okay cover this distance because I'm telling you what I saw is faster than you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On, ter on rough terrain. On rough I think I... On, yeah, on rough terrain. There was a... I think it was... Paranormal Factor Fiction may have done it. Uh, where they did have a yeah. Olympic runner. Uh, they had a, a video of a Bigfoot running up a hillside. And they marked it off. They found the exact hillside, the exact camera, and they marked it off and had an Olympic runner do it. And he was like three times slower. So now you want to tell me yeah. a guy in a Bigfoot suit ran faster... Than an Olympic sprinter. Yeah, that was very good casting. If they found a yeah, actor yeah. to put those suit on, sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, wow, I tr truly, truly amazing. Uh, Andrew, this is amazing, and I'll, I'll add a little blurb at the end about the woodland or about the woodland giant and the cave paintings. Yeah. I'm gonna call them cave paintings. Yeah. We've called them cave paintings enough that. They're cave paintings no. in my book now. <laughs> uh, right, right. No, I, I know that's not the right terminology, and they don't even call them rock face paintings. They call them something completely different. Oh, yeah. Archaeologists love – they're about like a fish guy. They just love to put different words on every little thing. <laughs> right, right. But that's what I would call them is, yeah. is a, a cave painting, even though they're not in a cave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you think of a stereotypical cave painting where it's like, light paint on a dark surface or dark paint on a light surface and it's the outline of a of a creature or a person i mean that's what i think of when i think of prehistoric cave painting right and that's what these are i can't wait i'm gonna I yeah can't i want to look I'll, into them i want to know <laughs> well andrew is before we let you go is there anything else you'd like to add uh no, I, I can't think of anything at the moment. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for, 
for letting me share with you, uh, giving me a, a, a platform to not only listen to, to your stories and other folks that you've had on your podcast, it's just refreshing to know that there's like-minded people out there that have had similar things happen, and, uh, and I'm not crazy. Right. I, I would just like to tell you that I, me and Jay both feel very honored that you felt comfortable enough to come share it with us. It's Absolutely. an amazing encounter. You did amazing research, and I, I feel very honored. Well, it's stories like these really why we, not really why we started the podcast, but when we, when we were getting the idea together about having people on, this is exactly what we were seeking out, I guess. I think that so many stories died with these last couple generations that are mm-hmm. like in our area, these old farmers, we've had a couple come up, but how many of their generation didn't get to tell their story? Yeah. And it's just gone. Mm-hmm. So we want to yeah. thank you so much we feel so honored i just thank you again andrew this has been great this was really fun actually you painted a real fun picture in my head to go along with your story oh yeah you're yeah all right andrew we're gonna we're gonna let you go if that's okay with you yeah i'll I'll put this offer out to you if you guys ever get a chance let me know and maybe we can make a uh, trip down to north carolina and i can take you to this place Ooh. Don't tempt us. I think we may take you up on that. Don't threaten us with a good time. Yeah. All right, Andrew. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. No problem, guys. You take care. You take care. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. That was Andrew. Uh, Amazing, amazing, amazing story. Yeah. Awesome. But we'll catch you next week with more amazing tales. We don't know when when this episode's coming out, but... We'll catch you next week. All right, guys. (laughs) You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical.